It's time to set aside the superficial. It's time to go deeper. It's time to engage in truth. Here's John Bornstein. Well, everybody, welcome back to Engage in Truth. This is John Bornstein. I'm the senior pastor of Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley right here at Colorado Springs. And I'm so excited that you are tuning in today. Happy New Year, everyone. A couple weeks ago, I shared with you some of the heartache that's been going on in our family. My wife is battling cancer, and uh, we just covered all of your prayers. Um, It's not quite the way we wanted to start 2019, but we keep our eyes on our author and perfecter of our faith, Jesus Christ, our Lord, that no matter what trial and tribulation we go through, we know that he is working all things to the good of those called according to his purpose, and we trust in his promises. He has been faithful our entire lives through thick and thin, and we were reminded in 2 Corinthians chapter 1 that no matter what those trials may look like, that these things come about as it, to point us back to the reality that God is the one working through us, not by our strength or our might, that God has a purpose in everything. He saw the end from the beginning, as we read in Isaiah 46.10, that God has a plan. He has a purpose even in these trials and tribulations. So I thank you for your prayers. I thank you for your support that's uh, been coming through to our church at Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley. It is going to be just an incredible year of service and opportunity for us to reach out, to to impact locally, to reach out and serve God even across the world. And I know that uh, many of you have been faithful to come alongside our ministry in so doing. Again, if you're looking for a church in the Colorado Springs area, we'd encourage you to come and check us out at Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley. Let me continue in our study here today of who is Jesus. Because if if we're to have this kind of faith, then in the midst of the storms and whatever storms you're going to face, you need to be able to stand on the solid rock of truth of who Jesus Christ is. Is he your Lord? Is he your Redeemer? Is he your Savior? Or do you just know of him as someone that people talk about. And we just wrapped up Christmas not long ago, and, and Jesus was a subject of, of many sermons and, and many programs and radio programs and so forth. So you heard a lot about Jesus, but do you really know who Jesus is? So let's, let's examine this uh, for a moment to, together while we can in our short period of time together. So if you turn with me to Matthew chapter 16, verses 13 to 18, let's read these words. When Jesus came into the region of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, saying, Who do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? So they said, Some say John the Baptist, some Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, But who do you say that I am? Simon Peter answered and said, You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Jesus answered and said to him, Blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my Father who is in heaven. And I also say to you that you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven, and whatever you bind on earth will be bound in heaven, and whatever you loose on earth will be loosed in heaven. Powerful words. Here he brings them to this location of Caesarea Philippi, of all places, to ask them this pivotal question of who do you say that I am? And this is a key question for all of us. Who do we say that Jesus is? Because people have a lot of opinions 
about who Jesus is, but he takes him to this specific location that's 25 miles north of the Sea of Galilee at the base of Mount Hermon, and, it, and here is one of the largest springs that feed the Jordan River. And at this location, it's not just a pretty location. Rather, he takes him to this place known as Baal Hermon or Baal Gad, and it also became known as a place called Panias. And today you know it as Banias, uh, but it was known as Panias then with a P. And the reason is because the god, lower G god, Pan was worshipped there. He's a god of panic. He was a half man, half goat. And they would worship him along with Zeus at this particular location. And everyone would throw these sacrifices unto Zeus down into this cave that was directly behind the temple. And water would come up from this cave and you'd look down in it and it would go down what looked like forever. There was no end to it, it appeared. That it was a bottomless pit to some, that it would look like this giant hole in the earth. And many called it the gates of hell. And here is where Christ takes his disciples to ask them this pivotal question and then tells Peter that upon this rock I will build my church and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it, as if taking them to the very place of the worship of Satan himself and declaring that I am God, I am the son of the living God, and my church will prevail. They will have victory over you and there's nothing you can do to stop it. You know, Zeus, who was worshipped there, is tied directly to Baal. And it's Baal, whom Jesus called Satan, in Matthew chapter 12, verse 27. And it wasn't just at this location. In fact, all through the border there in Lebanon, and in fact, Tyre was only a few hours away. And if you recall, you Bible students out there, you'll remember that Tyre is spoken of in Ezekiel 28, where Jesus Christ rebukes the king who is being empowered by Satan. So that entire region, there were many temples of worship. Even the temple of Baalbek there was one of the largest temples of worship unto Satan. So Jesus comes right to his doorstep and declares victory over him, that he is the son of the living God, and he is the rightful heir of this earth. And when Satan tried to tempt him by trading the kingdoms of the earth for his worship, what foolishness. And then he tried to quote Psalm 91 against Jesus, and Jesus turned it on him and rebuked him and sent him away because Jesus is the rightful heir. You turn only to Revelation chapter 5 to be reminded of that, or even Hebrews chapter 1 through 3, you will be reminded quickly who is the kinsman redeemer, the rightful heir of the face of the earth and all of the earth, that it belongs to him, those under him, under the earth, on the earth and above the earth, that every knee will bow and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Six days later, he'll take his disciples up, three of them, in fact, Peter, James, and John, up to the top of this mount. It may be Mount Hermon. And there he is transfigured before their eyes. Now, Jesus, who he was, is spelled out for us quite clearly in Scripture. He, he declared that he was the Messiah to a woman in John chapter 4, verses 25 to 26. You see, Jesus' name means God saves. We talked a lot about that last week of his very name. 
He tells us that he existed before Abraham and in fact is called I am in John 8, 58. That was a big deal because God the Father called himself the I am in Exodus chapter 3, verses 13 to 15. He said that he and the Father were one, according to John 10, 30, to which the Jews replied, you, a mere man, claim to be God? They knew what he was saying, and that was in John 10, 33. He called God his Father. In Luke chapter 2, verse 49, and Simeon called Jesus God's salvation for all people. In Luke chapter 2, verses 29 to 32. And then we're told that the Word became flesh and dwelt among us in John 1, 1 and John 1, 14. And then we see that Thomas declares that Jesus is God in John chapter 20, verse 28. Some have even questioned that is God uh, fully, is, is Jesus, is he fully God? Is he omnipresent? Even as God the Father is omnipresent. And I would challenge them to say that only Satan would change or, or challenge the deity or authoritative power of Jesus Christ. You only go back to John or Revelation chapter 5 on that to remind it that he is on his throne presiding over all the affairs of the earth and that he knows the hearts of every man according to John chapter chapter 2, verses 23 to 25. And then in Colossians 1, 15 to 20, we read this about Jesus. It says, He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. Again, that's signifying his inheritance, that he was before Adam. He is the rightful heir over all of the earth, and dominion belongs to him. And then in verse 16, it says, For by him... All things were created that are in heaven and that are on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or principalities or powers. All things were created through him and for him. He is before all things, and in him all things consist. He is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he may have preeminence. For it pleased the Father that in him all the fullness should dwell, and by him to reconcile all things to himself, by him, whether things on earth or things in heaven, having made peace through the blood of his cross. So there's always been this great discussion about his identity, and yet the scripture is quite clear on his identity. To the average person, Jesus may be considered one among many, good but not great, not the best, a prophet but not the prophet, but yet scriptures are quite clear of who he is, that he is the Son of God and both God and man. He's fully God and fully man. And that's hard for us to understand that how could he be both? But this really causes you to have to question and decide for yourselves because this is a critical question that your eternity is at stake with this of who is Jesus. And again, what does the Bible say when he says, but who do you say that I am? And he's talking to all of us. He's not just talking about his disciples there. The word in the Greek is humaeus, which is you, plural, all of us, not just one, but all. Who do we say that he is? Simon Peter answers, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Number one, you are the Christ. And then he says, you are the Son of the living God. Now, I'm glad that Peter never went to seminary. We know that for a fact from Acts chapter 4, 13, even though there weren't seminaries at that time, but he did not go to seminary. Otherwise, he probably would have answered why, Jesus, you are the eschatological manifestation of Amagio Dei. <laughs> and then Jesus might have said, I'm the what? 
I'm the eschatological man. What what, what did you call me again? (laughs) I don't think Jesus would have said that. But nonetheless, Peter says, you are the Christ. He keeps it simple. And the Hebrew word there is Messiah, the anointed one. The Greek translation of that is the Christos. That means that Jesus Christ means God saves. This is the anointed one. Christ is his title. Yeshua is his name. Jesus is his name. So God saves. This is the anointed one. He is both prophet and priest. He is prophet, priest, and king. He's all three. He's from the lion of the tribe of Judah. He's the root of David. He came and fulfilled all 355 prophecies. And all of this seems so obvious to us who might be readers of the 66 canonized books of the Bible almost 2,000 years later. But in 95 AD, right about the time when Revelation was written, these words were still quite controversial to the Orthodox Jews. They could not accept this. In fact, 40 years after Revelation was written, around 130 AD, uh, Simon Bar Kokhba was was the one who many had selected to fulfill these prophecies, that he would be the Messiah, that he would overthrow Rome and free the Jewish people, the Israelites. Uh, and specifically those two tribes, the Jews and along with the tribe of Benjamin, because you know, you know, the, t- the other ten tribes had scattered. But the, the land of Israel at that time, that he was going to free them from the oppression of the Romans. And in Numbers chapter 24, verse 17, they were looking to that as a prophecy that he could fulfill, that there shall come forth a star out of Jacob, and a scepter shall rise out of Israel, and shall smite through the corners of Moab. Or or Haggai chapter 2, verses 21 to 22, where he says, I will shake the heavens and the earth, and I will overthrow the thrones of kingdoms. So they were looking for a man who would rise up and defeat their oppressors, and then they gave him the title of Messiah. And yet, three years later, he died at the siege of Batar. And this, which was the final battle of the third Jewish-Roman war that ultimately devastates all of Judea. And since then, 28 other leaders have emerged that many Orthodox Jews have called the Messiah, but all of them have come and gone, even as recently as 1994, and none of them fulfilled the prophecies. You see, the Orthodox Jews are trying to explain away Daniel chapter 9 and Micah chapter 3 and 5, that the Messiah had to come before the temple was destroyed. So if it's not Jesus, then who? Because the temple was destroyed in 70 AD. That means that, that if, if all of the scriptures pointed to this Jesus and that Messiah didn't come, that means that all of those Old Testament prophecies, all 355, in fact, of Jesus Christ, would have been lies. And so what we have to look to is the evidence that Jesus Christ actually fulfilled all 355 prophecies, and whether or not they want to accept it or not, the reality is The reality, the facts still remain. He fulfilled all 355. In fact, Isaiah would speak 127 times of the coming Messiah that Jesus Christ would fulfill all of them. Now, Dr. John Stoner, he would try to give us a number that we could even try to grasp of this, that if Jesus Christ even fulfilled eight of the 355 prophecies, you would need a number with the number 10, and 27 zeros after it. That's your probability that Jesus could even fulfill eight of 355 prophecies, let alone all of them. Let's just look at eight, if you will. (laughs) For example, Christ was to be born in Bethlehem, according to Micah 5.2. Well, that was fulfilled in Matthew 2, 4-6. 
In fact, there was going to be a forerunner of Christ, which would be John the Baptist, and coming in spirit, and he would, uh, you know, come in the spirit of Elijah. And that was spoken of in Malachi 3.1. It was fulfilled in Mark 1, 2 to 8, that Christ would enter Jerusalem riding on a donkey in Zechariah 9.9. Indeed, that's exactly how Jesus entered in Jerusalem in Matthew 21, 4 to 11, that Christ would be betrayed by a friend in Psalm 41.9. Indeed, he did in Luke 22.21, that Christ would be betrayed for exactly 30 pieces of silver in Zechariah 11.12. Well, Judas sold out Jesus for 30 pieces of silver in Matthew 26, 15. And then we're even told that the 30 pieces of silver would be cast down and used to buy the potter's field in Zechariah 11:13. Well, those 30 pieces of silver were used to buy a potter's field in Matthew 27, 3 to 10. And although innocent that Jesus would keep silent at the trial in Isaiah 53, 7. And yes, Jesus kept silent during his trial in Mark 14, 60 to 61, and we're even told exactly how Christ would die, that he would be crucified in Psalm twenty-two sixteen, And yes, Jesus was crucified, according to John 19, 17, and 18. So when we look at all the prophecies of Scripture, 80% of all the prophecies have been fulfilled exactly as foretold. That means that the 20% that remain, we know that they also will be fulfilled exactly as foretold. You see, in Micah chapter 3 and 5, we read that the temple would be destroyed after the Messiah had come, that Emmanuel, even though he was revealed, would not stop the coming destruction. And then in Daniel chapter 9, he gave us a timeline in verses 25 to 27 for Christ's first coming and second coming. That after the decree to rebuild Jerusalem, you were to count off 483 lunar years or 476 solar years, as we translate that now, which would put it to exactly 30 AD because the decree came from Artaxerxes to Nehemiah in 447 BC. You go to Nehemiah chapter 2 verses 1 to 8. That'll put you at exactly 30 AD when we see in Zechariah 9.9 prophecy being fulfilled of Jesus Christ coming into Jerusalem to present himself as the propitiation, the, the offering between God and man to take on the full penalty for our sin, because blood, the the offerings of blood, the blood of goats uh, could not, the, the blood of goats and bulls could not save man, according to Hebrews chapter ten verse four. So I believe that Jesus died at thirty A.D. Why? Because that would be exactly forty years until the destruction of Jerusalem and the destruction of the temple. And the number forty is mentioned hundred and forty six times in the Bible as a period of completion or or restoration. It's very prophetic. And that seems to be exactly like the author of language would do, since God is the author of language, including mathematics, according to Genesis chapter 11. So I believe that that is very prophetic, that Jesus Christ was the only one who could fulfill all 613 ordinances and take the demand of perfection upon himself to give us life eternal, to give us a hope that he was Emmanuel, God with us, according to Matthew chapter 1, verse 23. Now we go back to Matthew 16, and, and Peter goes on to say, you are the son of the living God. Now, there have been other confessions of faith. You go to John 1.49, we see that Nathaniel had confessed that Christ was the son of God. The disciples had even declared him to be God's son in Matthew 14.33. And we see that Peter had even given a confession of faith when the crowds left 
as after Jesus had given this very controversial sermon in John chapter 6, verse 68 to 69. In fact, uh, we're told that his, his own disciples left him, not the 12. Jesus had many other disciples, and they would even leave him after this bread of life message that he would give. And so Peter had already given a confession. So why did this particular moment need to come to pass? I believe that this was necessary to to reference Romans 10, 9, that if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, that you will be saved. You see what he says there? If you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. What did they just do there? They're declaring with their mouths, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. This is just like what the thief on the cross did as he looked to Jesus. He declares that he is the Lord. And what a powerful statement to make. He even asked him to remember him when, when he goes to his throne, when he goes to his kingdom. Jesus says to him, this night you will be with me in paradise. What a powerful picture to display there for all of us. That if with a heart of repentance, with a heart of understanding, this isn't an emotional response. This was a studied and sincere statement that as he looked to Christ, as he looked to Jesus He declared with his mouth, you are Jesus, the Lord. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus must have rejoiced when he heard these words. And he tells him that it's not by him. In fact, he says to Peter that blessed are you, Simon Bar-Jonah, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven that God has revealed this to him and the Holy Spirit must have just been bouncing around inside of him and then his mouth just opens and out comes these prophetic and powerful words that he is the Christ, the son of the living God and almost 2,000 years later we are saying the same thing. And perhaps it's time for you to declare the same, that with your mouth that Jesus is Lord, he is the Christ, the son of the living God. I hope you have absolutely no doubt that as you lift, as you've listened now to these two weeks, we must be reminded of the seriousness of this. Again, Philippians chapter two, verses nine to ten. That therefore God also has highly exalted Him and given Him the name which is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow of those in heaven and those on earth and those under the earth, that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Again, Jesus' name means God saves. God has fulfilled his promise. He has sent a deliverer. He has sent a savior. Will you accept that? The decision is real. We must choose then, as Joshua 24, 15 tells us, choose this day whom you will serve. As for me and my family, we will will serve the Lord. You've got to make a decision. And that decision may be now. As you listen to these words, and maybe you've heard a lot about Jesus, but you've never given your life to Jesus. And you've heard those words, John 3, 16, For God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. There is life eternal. And Jesus Christ, our Lord, whatever has been holding you back, Whatever burdens you bear, 
His yoke is light. It is time to lay those things down at the foot of the cross. It is time to take up your cross then and to follow him. That means putting aside yourself. It's not about you now. Now it's about following Jesus, learning from Jesus, being of the word, in the word, a servant of the most high, and doing so faithfully as a doulos for the king of kings. Are you ready to take up this mantle? Are you ready to take the baton that has been passed to you where Jesus Christ is knocking? He stands at the door at knocks, and he's waiting for you to open the door to him, to dine with him, to learn his ways, to follow him. We've only got one life. And with this life, we will be judged for our actions, for our very words that we speak, according to Matthew chapter 12. Are you ready to stand before his throne today and give an account for your life? Because on your merits alone, you will not inherit salvation. But in Jesus Christ, our Lord, eternal life is assured. He is the promise fulfilled. He is the promise given. The Redeemer has come. Emmanuel, God with us, has come. He is coming again. Are you ready for it? If you're looking to get involved in a fellowship here locally, check us out at Calvary Fellowship Fountain Valley. The website is calvaryfountain.com. Again, calvaryfountain.com. Services are at 10 a.m. on Sunday, and we would love to see you there. God bless you, my friend.